every big thing starts small. It's a natural law. Every big multinational corporation was once a small business. Welcome to the Small Starter Business Podcast, a unique podcast for practical tips and advice to help you start, grow, or turn around your business. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. Today's episode is a first. It's actually my first um, interview on this podcast. It's actually a feature on another podcast, on Timitude's um, podcast. And I, after listening to it, I said, you know, it would be nice to try this new interview format. And it's a very interesting episode. I talk about my career choice, how I stumbled on entrepreneurship, how I made the move from engineering into business and finance before becoming an entrepreneur, how different people treat risk, the issue of no jobs in Africa, and a couple of interesting um, topics that will really appeal to you. And um, I encourage you to listen to it. It's quite long, but you're going to get a lot of value bombs and value nuggets from this. Over to you, Tim. Honestly, John Paul, I don't know even where to start with you because you have a lot of things going on for you, a really larger than life <laughs> profile <laughs> and a CV, which I don't think can fit into one episode. Uh, and my, the way I kind of generally go about this is to say, definitely, I would say you're welcome again. You're you're a welcome guest. Meaning, anytime you know there's a stopover and you want to chat, you know, in in, the, in another episode, please, you're welcome. So we don't really have to exhaust everything. But okay. I suspect you probably just throw the canvas out and say, hey, you know, let's get introduced. What's your what are you about? And I, I just think about. Um, you know, you say you're 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 a Lagosian or Lagosian or I don't know how you you know just you know maybe share a little bit about your journey and how you get your you know how you find yourself where you are you know with, with all you're doing you know in whichever way is that that makes sense. Okay, so um, I am I'm based in Lagos. I was born and raised here, and um, so my background was I think it was all really set that I would. Um, go to school, get good grades, and then get a good job. And then, you know, more or less live the happy life. Nice. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was, that was quite obvious from the very beginning because of the kind of, um, so my parents were primarily in business and we were raised somehow to consider business as second rate. That, you know, working in the office is the ultimate goal. You know, being educated and then, you know, getting a job in an office and working, you know, that is what is um that that is what we're supposed to pursue but then business was for people who couldn't achieve the the big dream it was for mm. people who for less either people who didn't go to school or people who couldn't get a job and of course if you can't get the job what it means is that you didn't pass the interviews then maybe you're not intelligent enough so you know there are several different things you can say and that had a positive and negative impact on the way we were raised and the positive side is that I, I now regret that maybe if I'd been more active or more interested in my parents' business, maybe I would have it would have helped me to understand more or less like what it takes to build a business in the streets, you know. But maybe I'm glad it happened that way because I went the normal route and then how to go, I had to go relearn and unlearn some of those things I missed in childhood. Now the positive side was that it made the focus very clear. Focus on your grades and get a good job. And interestingly, that's, um, I think that that really worked wonders because I 
I was a very sterling student academically. I, I still miss exams. I love the thrill of writing exams. You know, that whole, I know people, some people have exam frights, but I'm like the opposite. I like that challenge of, you know, getting into the teacher's mind or the examiner's mind and then walking out of that hall victorious, you know. And I did it, you know, so different honors right from early school to university. I had two scholarships. So it was really no a no-brainer for me that I was going to really settle into formal employment. And then just before, so in Nigeria here, yeah, there's this thing called the mandatory youth service. I don't know if it happens in South Africa, but the moment you graduate from any higher institution, you're supposed to serve the country for a full year. So you'll be posted to another part of the country that is very different from where you grew up in. So of course, the, the whole idea of that policy is to integrate the country. It was, it was set up just after the Civil War in 1970. Mm-hmm. So it was a way, because you can imagine someone like me, I'm not ethnically from Lagos, but I, I was born here, I was raised here. It's very unlikely that I will know anything about another part of the country, maybe the far north or the far south. You know, and there are people yeah. who are born, raised, and they die in their city. And this is not just peculiar to me or to Africans. It's even very peculiar in the U.S. You have people who are born in one state, in, in Kentucky, and never leave Kentucky for the rest of their lives and die there. So this whole policy of, yeah, this whole policy of integration was um, supposed to help people, um, you know, know each other, know people in other parts of the country, mixed with other tribes and other ethnic groups and things like that. And it turned out to be a fantastic thing. But before we could graduate, I already had my first two job offers. And the main one I was looking for, because I studied mechanical engineering, the main one I was looking for was the oil industry job. That was the lottery. So you have that in Nigeria, you are like set for life. And that's exactly where my eyes were. So I had the invitation from ExxonMobil. I went through the very first stage. I met a lot of my friends, my classmates there. But by the time I progressed to the second stage, I noticed that a lot of people were already being cut out. And then I made it to the very um, final stage. But before the final interview, I already had the job offer from PwC. And Mm -hmm. I took the offer purely out of um, curiosity. Because I was like, you know, rather than just wait at home until the ExxonMobil thing matures, why don't I just go here and have fun and see what these guys are about, you know? Yeah, so I went yeah. to the training. And I also saw it as an opportunity to get free training. Since I wasn't going to stay anyway, I was heading to the oil industry. You know, let me just yeah. go in there and get, and get free training. And while I'm at it, I can also squeeze out one or two months of, of free salary. So for me, I thought I had a very solid um, deal going. So while I was in training, I went for the last... Um, the, the last interview with ExxonMobil, which was with some director or senior project manager, it wasn't anything serious. It was just a conversation like we're having now. Tell me about yourself. So to, to me, it was like, you know, game over. You know, it's already done. This is not a test. It's just a conversation. But as fate would have it, mm. that did not materialize. I still remember that email saying that they are putting a pause on their recruitment until mm. further notice. And they are going to be in touch, you know, with us. And then... What that left me was with PwC, and all this time, unlike my my personality in class, I was like a joker or a clown within my my <laughs> ourselves. You know? So I don't have much, you know, just I didn't have anything to lose. You know, just having fun. And this is a part of me I've really never tried before. Usually, when I'm in class, I'm a very serious person. I'm focused, and but then I yeah. found that I was having fun, but I was also too. I wasn't doing bad, you know, in terms of the performance in class. You know, yeah. within that PwC. And then what really piqued my curiosity 
in PwC was. Now, I have to rewind some years back. When I was yeah. in second um, year in university, I came across this book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Small book. I didn't really think much of it. So I just, it was a holiday. The university was on strike. So I was just reading the book. And then it opened my eyes to a part of reality or a part of life I didn't know existed. All this time, I was thinking as, you know, um, graduate with a good um, a good score, you get an engineering job, and you're set for life. But yeah. I didn't understand that, you know, wherever you want to go work as an engineer, you're going to be working in somebody's business. You are just yeah. one small part of the entire engine. There are yeah. these guys who are in the control room, who wear suits, who call the shots. They determine how much you get paid. If you're going to get hired or fired, they essentially yeah. run the and these are the business people. These are the entrepreneurs. Every business that exists was started by one. Everyone that, that's successful and doing well is being run by one. So I then realized that all this time, the ultimate goal I thought I wanted to achieve was actually a small minor part of the entire engine. So mm. that was when the hunger of understanding how the entire engine works started to appeal to me. But of course, at that time, as a science student, as an engineering undergraduate, I knew nothing about money or business or finance. In fact, I saw them as lesser beings. You know the way there's that, there's that um, um, intellectual superiority you have when you're in the sciences or in engineering. You think every other person is just wasting their time, you know? So I, I realized, you know, I'm actually the one being conned here because it's like I'm being put into, I'm being put into a straight jacket and my options are limited because I'm just an engineer. But when you when, when you know business or you understand business, every kind of business is essentially a business. It doesn't matter if it's a healthcare business, an agri-business, a fashion business, they essentially run the same way. So if you understand business, you have far more flexibility than somebody who is just a lawyer or somebody who's just a doctor or somebody who's just an engineer. So I saw that as, you know, it made a lot of sense, but I didn't know anything about business. But the interesting thing that did to me was it sparked a part of my mind that wasn't active before. Mm. So, so what PwC did was PwC started to help me flesh out the substance of business. I started to understand, okay, so, you know, finance. And then that got me interested in enrolling in the ACCA accreditation program to become a, a, a certified chartered accountant. And so you're it was the most like, clever people. <laughs> you know, so, so it was a new, it was a very new environment to me. And there was a lot of curiosity because... This is an area I didn't know anything about. So, you know, I was looking forward to all the exams and, um, and, and all of it. So essentially, that's what got me, that's what moved me off the engineering track into business and finance, you know. But then at, at PwC, I, had, I got another offer to get into the oil industry. Now, this was the same oil industry I wanted, but I was mm. not on the I went to work for a contractor. Now, what these contractors do is they provide services to most of the oil companies. So rather than working just ExxonMobil, working for a contractor helped me access many of the major oil installations in my country. I went to all, I went to the three major refineries. I got into the HQs of all the major oil, oil players within Nigeria. It was, it was an exposure. But the main thing that, that um, shocked me was I was sitting on the other side of who I could have become. And then I mm. saw yeah, what I would have looked like if the Exxon thing worked out. So there was a meeting we went for, and I realized there's this guy who was just made a manager. He's worked for, what, 10 years, 
within the, within that company, an oil an oil multinational. And you know, as a manager, all this time he's been a pure engineer, an electrical engineer. Now, as a manager who has to handle several other engineers under him, he had to move beyond the realm of engineering. He had to understand things like finance, defending yeah. a budget, creating a budget, performance management. And I saw how this guy, who was, you know, far older than me, was struggling with numbers, was struggling with finance. I could still see uh, a smack of that arrogance that we have as engineering, you know, people. You know, I don't need this. But in the end, if, if it matters to your career, you have to learn it. So that was yeah. another point where I realized, you know, I would have, I may have been making a lot of money, but inside of me, I may have been unhappy because of the kind of person I am. You know, I'm an ambitious person. I want to stretch my potential. And seeing that I'm in some in some place where I'm making a lot of money, but I'm not really moving far, I'm sure it would have been um, it would have been very very frustrating. But maybe let me just leave it at this point, so that I don't just I have this tendency to go on and on and on unless somebody applies the Greek. So let me call myself to order. No, I think I think you've shared a very lovely canvas, you know, just of your journey, um, and especially really connecting the dots of how you know. The, the you know the the the, the idea dropped in and, and how the light went on you know because I think yeah. many times you know many people walk in that space you know because the the, the danger with corporate is the promise as you say you know if you're uh, you know you're promised you get a good salary you get the perks that come with it and then it's this comfortable life <laughs> which you should live and cruise until you're 65 when you retire whenever the age is and then you know like life should be okay you know <laughs> but but i think it robs you of everything else that is god given or whatever it is that has been put in terms of your potential and and i think rich dad poor dad is instructive really in terms of because of that he talks about the four quadrants and yeah. uh, you know and i remember uh, also being aware of that and it's like wow okay i didn't know that there's business there's investment there's all these other things that are available and now you can do more so 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 for you what's been your sense from that point obviously being aware of like oh okay there's other things and there's now an opportunity to really learn and really the sense of where most people come to you and tell you hey you know i'm stuck here do you feel the, the, the connection is obvious where they can see they can do more or is that something that you know many people are still living in in, in, a, in a closed in world um, i think i think um so i have this philosophy because, um, and I think it's, it's important because for people who have never worked in the corporate world, for yeah. them, they have it very easy. In fact, I, I used to envy them because what <laughs> is, they had that same focus I had growing up, knowing that I had to go work for somebody. And those are the people I call the chance entrepreneurs. They are people who know from the moment they, they, they leave school that they're not going to work for anybody. They don't have any interest in working for anybody. They want to go back and join the family business or start their own business. For And I admire such people. But the people who, who find it very difficult are the choice entrepreneurs. These are the people who have, who have to make the choice of leaving uh, corporate employment into, into entrepreneurship. And I also have to mention that, especially in a place like Africa, we have yeah. most of our bright people are locked in corporate. You know the way it is. You know, it's pure capitalism. You are able yes. to pay top dollar for good talent. And you yes. have somebody who can cause significant impact if they were in the wild, as I call it. You know, this is somebody who can 
because of the kind of knowledge and experience and skills they have, they can serve a lot of people and help to cause significant change in society. But here they are working for one multinational or a big corporation that just squeezes all that value and keeps it for themselves. You see, so I don't just think it's a structural problem in the market. I think it's some some levels mm -hmm. of injustice, if there's any kind of social injustice that will be. Because we need all our best brains out there helping to create products or services yes. or helping to build the ecosystem. Yes. So, yeah, so I, I see myself as one of those birds that were fortunate enough to escape. But again, it's not a matter of luck or fortune. It's a matter of choice. It's a choice you have yeah. to make at a certain time. You are leaving the certain for the uncertain. You're leaving the predictable for the unpredictable. And for many people, it's a very, it's a very tough choice. And one other thing I need to mention here, because I've had the time to think about this thing severally over the years. I yeah. think the issue we have with many of our bright people who are trapped in corporate is their relationship with risk. So many of these people were yeah. top academic performers. They, they performed very well in school. And the way um, the educational system treats risk is different from the way risk works in real life. So let me give mm -hmm. you an, an example. If you fail a subject in school, you get an F. You know, yeah. it, it has different levels of consequences. Apart from the indignity of having an F, your classmates are going to laugh at you. Your parents are going to scold you. You're going to feel very terrible with yourself. You're going to feel like a loser, right? But yeah. in the wild, in the wild, you release a new product and it's a bomber. It doesn't work. It has failed. You know, that's, that is some kind of um, learning moment that has happened. Because yeah. failure, failure in the real world keeps edging you closer and closer to what is going to work and then would slightly edge you into success. That's how it works here. So failure is like a warning beacon in the real world. It's actually an ally. It's a friend. But yeah. in structured environments like academia or corporate, it's an enemy. It's despised. Nobody wants anything to do with it. So that was one of the major mind shifts too that really had to happen to me. Because you know how it can be. If you're, in the, if you're in the corporate world and you're an intelligent person, it's likely when you want to start a business, you come up with a plan. You're, that's where your intelligence shows. You your market yes, yes. and all your projections. You can already, in fact, you are the prophet. You can tell what the future is going to be like. And then you come out and then reality hits you, bam. Yes. You know, <laughs> it crushes your confidence. And these are not things you're used to because you're a winner. You've been a winner a long time. So it crushes yeah. your confidence. And for some people, it's difficult for them to stand up again and try again. Because yeah. for some reason, they're unable to detach who they are from the lesson that's going on. That's one yeah. problem. We're unable to decouple our person from the experience we're going through. And knowing that the experience is just the experience. Even though it's negative, it has nothing to do with who I am as a person. So these are some mental changes that need to happen up there before you can, you know, I can't really use the word confidently because the fear never leaves you. I left mine when I was, I was newly married. I had a four-month-old baby. You know, I didn't have any savings. So if you're going to look at it from a risk uh, side, it was like a major gamble. But I was going with like gut feeling. I'm like, every single day I come to this job, you know, it crushes my spirit. And the worst of them was Saturday evenings when you just mm -hmm. know that on one day, you <laughs> go back and, you know, and you're spending yeah. three hours in traffic, one hour yeah. plus or two hours to go to work and then another one coming back. 
And I'm asking myself, if I invest all this time, you know, and the second for me was, I didn't think I was getting a good deal. Now, if you're the kind of person who just wants to put in minimal work and get paid a lot of money, employment mm -hmm. is a, a very solid deal. But if you're somebody who takes pride in hard work, you're resourceful, you think you can do more, and you believe you deserve to be paid for the extra output you put in. Because if you really think about it, employment, for some employment, you just have to show up. For others, it doesn't really matter if you overperform. They still pay you the same salary at the end of the month. That's why you yeah. agreed to that deal. You know, but in the wild, the results you can deliver are proportional to the value that you can get. So yeah. and I thought I wasn't getting a good deal in employment. For my kind of person, I love to work hard. I take pride in working hard. And I believe that the more um, value I put into the world, the, the more I should get. That my return or my value should not be fixed by somebody yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, you said a lot of gems there, you know, and I think this is very useful in terms of just really the typology, uh, you know, when you think about within that context, uh, you know, being in a corporate, you know, secured space of academia and so on. I really like the way you've just did your profile risk in those two different environments. And I really, really, really resonate with what you say around you know, our best brain should actually be out there, you know, liberated, trying to open open up more opportunities. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that. And I think I'll expand this a little bit more on, on some an area I really wanted to engage you on, which is Africa, which is our home, our continent, okay. and really a place that I think everywhere you look, right, left, and center, speaks of potential. But yet at the same time, there's just really not much that is happening. Uh, you know, as far as the possibilities thereof, you know, I, I see a lot of your articles. You seem to share a lot of success stories of people trying to do different things. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts in terms of where is the starting point? What can we do? You know, uh, wh wh where could, you know, people who want to do something begin, you know, or how do we move this thing so that we are not victims and we are not always stuck with the same old narrative that, <laughs> that has been with us for so long that is just now tired. Uh, and yet we have so many things that are really possible and positive. I don't know, just, it's a big, I mean, potential Africa and all these minds that we have. That mm. Okay. Really I, you're very correct when you say that. Yeah, You're very correct when you say there's a lot of potential that's not being used, but I think that the, the place to find the answer we're looking for is in the narrative of our society. And that narrative is we have a lot of young people, 60% of the African continent is made up of people 25 years and younger. We have young people, but there are no jobs. The governments are not creating jobs, 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 jobs. And then when you look at what is going on, you have mm -hmm. a lot of young people who are graduating from school, they end up with some paper which shows they are now qualified in a certain field. And that's all they have after all the school fees and everything. And then they say, mm. take this paper, go out there and go get yourself a job. Now, we know Economics 101, there's this whole thing about demand and supply. There's yes. a, very clear, a very clear relationship. When you have a lot of demand of people asking for jobs, the first question to ask is, where are those jobs supposed to come from? Who is yeah. this supplier who is supposed to be supplying jobs that's not doing his job or her job? You know, where are these, where are these jobs? You then find out that, okay, when it comes to job creation, people have this wrong notion that the government should create jobs. And I'm still struggling to find any country in the world where the government is like a large-scale creator of jobs, except for some countries in Africa, where if you don't have, if you, you know, you have a civil service job, that's like the, the most... Um, 
high-ranking job you can have in, in society. The people who create jobs are entrepreneurs. And why do entrepreneurs yeah. create jobs? Entrepreneurs don't just come out with the with the um with the with the intention of creating jobs. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to create jobs, except you are a politician or you want to run for office. You can use that as your <laughs> life. You know, yeah. but really what is somebody solves a problem or somebody creates a product or provides a service that people need or can solve a problem for people. And because of the existence of that problem, of that product or, or service, somebody else is motivated to reach for their wallet and pay for that thing that they just bought. And because they're so happy that their problem is now resolved or that their need is now satisfied or that their, their desire has been met, they tell other people. And then gradually, this thing that started in the corner of somebody's bedroom or from the trunk of their car becomes big. Yeah. The demand starts to rise. And then this entrepreneur yeah. finds out that they, they no longer can handle all these orders coming in. They need help. And that's exactly where jobs come. Jobs come from. Jobs come because entrepreneurs need help. And yeah. they need help because whatever it is that they are building is growing beyond their personal capacity. And because they need help, they now have to hire somebody in sales, in accounting, as, a, as an admin assistant. Th that's how exactly every single business we look at. Facebook started in a dorm room. Today we have, Facebook has over what, 30,000 staff working for it. Coca-Cola was made in somebody's basement. Now you have almost a million people working for that company. Google is the same thing. Dangote is the same thing. Branson's yeah. company is the same thing. It starts with one person who is trying to solve a problem or who's trying to fill a need or satisfy your wants that people have. And then they, they get it right. And then the demand is so high that they need help. And then from, the, from that help comes jobs. Now look at it the way that the government creates jobs. Governments create jobs just so that they can win some political points. So that's yeah. why you find out that even in the civil service or public service in Africa, we have services that are highly inefficient. People don't have a reason to do their job well because at the end of the month, the money will still come. So it's like a social welfare scheme. It's not really an economic endeavor to increase productivity or to increase output in the economy. It's just social welfare. We just want to... Mm. So for example, in Nigeria, here you have all sorts of agencies. People are wearing uniforms. Some of them might be in traffic management. Some of them are doing some petty you know, job. And then you ask this person, what did you study? The person might say, I studied philosophy or I studied something in the arts. Or I studied engineering. And all you're doing is chasing cars around and, you know, stuff like that. And now it doesn't matter because the person is getting paid. You know, at the end of the month, they still get that salary. And I'm wondering, how do you explain what you do to your children? You know, yes, you are, you are feeding us, you are paying your bills. But what happened to self-actualization? What happened to a sense of fulfillment? What happened, in, what happened to um, feeling that you're contributing something valuable to the economy? I don't have anything wrong if you feel that that is a job you need to do. And you see it all the time. You walk into an office, you can always tell the difference between somebody who is working because they love that work. They derive, they derive a lot of value and meaning from that work. And somebody who is just doing the work because he just pays the bills. You can always tell the difference. The passion is different. The level of motivation is different. The level of commitment is different. And the level of performance is also very different. So when we say there's not a lot of potential, it's not as if somebody, and there are different ways you can spin this. There's the, there's the new colonialism angle that the problems yeah. we have is because of all the Chinese and the Indians and the Americans. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, you can also spin the bad leadership angle and say the reason why a lot of people are unemployed is because we have 
bad governments. Now, that's partially true. It's not completely true. And I'm going to explain. Yeah. So let's go back to what I said about how jobs happen. It happens because yeah. somebody is trying to solve a problem or somebody is trying to meet a need or somebody is trying to fulfill a desire that people have. If you can do any of these three things well, people will pay you. Because yeah. I am going to pay to solve my problem. Why would I want to stay? In fact, the more serious the problem is, the more um, inconveniencing the, that problem, the more painful it is, the higher the motivation for me to pay somebody to solve it. If I have a need that I, of course, a need is um, something that you cannot do without. It could be food, yeah. water, shelter, accommodation, whatever. Some of us don't have options. We have to meet our needs. You have to pay our, you, we have to pay our bills. There's no, there's no, there's no, um, there's no way around it. And also we have desires. We have wants. We want to achieve something in life. We want to progress either in our career, in our lives. We want to have more meaningful relationships. Some people want to travel. Some people want to make more money. Some people want to save money. Whatever the need, whatever the um, the want is or the desire is, if you can prove that you can satisfy this desire, I'm going to pay for it. So you have a population of 1.2 billion people. And we also happen to be in a part of the world where we're heavily endowed with natural and mineral resources. Now, let's forget about the ones that are that are hidden in the ground. Let's look at something simple as sunshine, right? So we yeah. enjoy more than 310 days of good sunshine in most parts of, of the continent. Now, we're in the middle of the solar revolution. There is no other part of the world that is better positioned to reap the benefits of solar than in Africa here. Now, we still have yeah. countries where power supply is very erratic. You don't have you don't have um, 24 hour power supply, but we have enough sunshine that's going to waste. All we can do is maybe complain about the sun, about the heat. You know, it's too hot. Is you know, but essentially this is like free fuel that people are using to build an industry. We have a population of 1.2 billion people. We still import a lot of food from the outside. Our yeah. ground is our, our, our soils are very fertile. We fortunately do not have some of the major natural disasters that yes, are common yes. in other parts of the world. You know? So even if you say it's bad government, how does the government stop you from harnessing the power of solar or harnessing the power that's locked in the fertility of our souls or helping people solve problems? And everybody has problems. Uh, newlyweds have problems. Newly graduates <laughs> have problems. Yeah, yeah. People have problems. The elderly have problems. People abroad have problems. All sorts of people. So how does um, the... The foreigners in the country stop you from solving a problem or meeting a need or satisfying a, a, a want because we have the population, we have the advantage. And many of our economies in Africa are free market economies. So it's not like there's some kind of communism where you say the state is stopping you from going into certain kinds of businesses or solving. So we, we are in a free market economy. Anybody can start a business and run it. You know, a, a lot of the resources are available. We can go into specifics about the challenges that people face as they're trying to start or grow a business. But that is the conversation we should, be we should be having, not the conversation of jobs. So if you went to school for four years and you came out with a certificate, what you are telling me is that until somebody accepts you to work in a position in their company, you cannot produce any value. Mm. Now, that's a, that's a very, that's a yeah. very damning indictment. You yeah. spent four years in the, in, the, in the university. You came out with a, uh, some certification and then what you're telling me is that unless somebody says, I'm going to pay you this at the end of the month, you just sit down somewhere and you're not adding any value to society. 
to the economy. You're not thinking of problems you can solve or needs you can meet or wants you can. So it's a deeper conversation than there are no jobs. I'm actually, yeah. it's, it's one that's, um, that makes you concerned about the kind of educational system we have and the kind of products that are being churned out of those systems. So what yeah. we're, we're creating robots, people who cannot work until you plug them into a job. That's all we're creating. We're creating robots. We're not creating thinkers. Because when a person knows how to think, the moment they find themselves in a troubling situation, like I'm unemployed, the yeah. mind activates and you start to think, what problem can I solve? What needs can I meet? What wants can I satisfy? And then you walk up from there. Rather than whenever you talk to the person, the person tells you there are no jobs. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? Because that essentially for me is... Um, that's what I think about the situation. Yeah, no, I mean, that's really, really, um, I, I think I like the way you just make it accessible, you know, around what each person can do, regardless of where they find themselves. Because I think it's just exhausting every time we're blaming governments or leaders or, I don't know, the West or okay, some or <laughs> or some conspiracy <laughs> theory, you know, and we're expecting a savior to come from mention, You know, there's a lot of lesson in history. Every single time politicians try to spin it and say, the reason why we have this unemployment problem is because we have foreigners in our country that are stealing our jobs. Nigeria did it earlier and we, 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 in, the, in the early 80s, and we sent out a lot of West Africans from Nigeria. It didn't create the jobs. South Africa, too, is going through yes. its own bounds with xenophobia. It hasn't yeah. created any additional jobs for black South Africans. So I, I don't understand when we are going to start seeing that you know, we are being played. There's nothing like, you know, the economy is like, um, what's it called now? It's something that expands. It, it doesn't have defined limits. There is no limit to an economy to say all the spaces are taken, the economy can no longer grow. No, there is no limit. So it doesn't matter if you have foreigners or locals in there. If everybody is being productive, the economy expands. It can accommodate as many people as possible, as long as the resources you know, needed to get those things done are available. So it doesn't make sense when we make, mm. when we pick the zero sum game, that the reason why we don't have jobs is because of, our, of the foreigners in our country. And it's not just in Africa, it's happening even in developed countries. So you see this yeah. whole populist movement in Europe and then the, the Trumpism in America, where we are seeing yeah. illegal migrants and things like that. It's all the same old, same old, um, the same old story where you're telling people that it's the foreigners who are stealing your job. And then when you really look at it, Many of the migrants in America, for example, are doing menial jobs. They are doing um, uh, minimum wage jobs that a typical American citizen may not want to do. So yeah. even if you ask those people to leave, are you going to pick your vegetables from the field? Are you going to be in the back office of the restaurant washing the plates? These are not jobs you will do anyway. So why are you saying you know, people are stealing your job? So it's just a political spin. It just tells us that many people in our society are not thinking. If we're thinking in terms of creating value, either by solving a problem or meeting a need or satisfying a want, the economy can accommodate everybody. Yeah. I really like that because it's, it's such a, a race to the bottom because I have this view that, that um, especially thinking about the continent, uh, obviously it's, it's, it's again, beyond geography and countries and so on. If you really look at it, it's a landmass that you have, but more no. than anything is, it's really almost this canvas that says, what can you do? You know, what can you create out of this? You know, you've been given all these resources, whether those are things which are below the ground or things, which, perhaps the most important is the people who are in it, which I think 
by the statistics we have, I think we have the most, um, Africa is the youngest, um, is probably considered the youngest continent. Yeah. But I don't know in terms of, because I think you play a lot in your in that space in terms of young people and mentoring them into business and so on. Yeah. Perhaps maybe just comment on that and your mission at uh, Small Starter, you know, because I think I really love what you're saying. And, and I think I just want to make sure that um, somehow uh, somebody would be listening to this would actually begin to get a sense to say, you know what, you can get angry and just decide to change your life and you can take those steps already. So maybe just share some thoughts from some of your experiments <laughs> at Small Starter, you know, in terms of getting young people on board and all kinds of people who are really interested to change their lives. Okay, so um, it starts with a very basic premise. You can, you can force the horse to the river, but you can't force it to drink, right? So mm-hmm. I have this basic, there's always, there's been this debate, you know, can are entrepreneurs born or are they made? I have my own take I have my own take on that debate and yeah. it's is this simple everybody can be an entrepreneur because can is about ability right what do you yeah. need you need a brain that's all you need to think about problems or needs you can solve it's just ability and if you have numeracy skills and you are literate you can read and write that's just about what we need everybody can be an entrepreneur but not everybody will be an entrepreneur now the reason is this Entrepreneurship is a mindset. It has a lot to do with the will. So you can preach all you want. You can teach all you want. If the will is not there, it's not going to work. I've tried the two of them before. You can push somebody and tell them, you know, you can do this. You can create value. You can. But if the will is not there, either for several reasons, their relationship with them, risk, fear factor, the mindset, the acculturation, there are a couple of other um, um, issues that are there. Some of them can be decoupled, but it takes more work compared to somebody who is ready. And, you know, yeah. when I see people who are ready, they usually come from two angles. It's either they are hungry. They are hungry for mm. something. I think I came from, you know, part of it came from that angle where I think I can do more. So there's a hunger to do more. Or it's coming from a place of disgust. You know, saying yeah. like, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with this problem or dealing with this personal situation. I, I, I deserve better. So that disgust and that anger can push you, can help to build that will that you need. So either you're coming from a position of hunger or you're coming from a position of anger or disgust. Now, that is usually where I like, that's usually where I get my raw material from. The moment somebody has the will to say, okay, I, I, want, to, I want to create value. I want to build a product or create a service. Now, it doesn't matter if you're doing it for money or whatever. You just need to have the will, right? So when we get to that point, some very interesting conversations start to emerge. For example, I have this business idea, but I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it has potential. I don't want to waste my time building something that, you know, might not fly. Now we start to have that conversation where we're now discussing things like breaking down to get the value of that thing. What's the size of the market? Is the market growing or is it declining? Have you validated it? Is somebody willing to pay for it? What's the competition like? You know, is this something that you're, that there's a major competition in the market that can easily cross you? Or is there a gap in the market you can truthfully exploit? These are the kinds of conversations we have. So at Small Startup, we break down that journey into three distinct phases. There is a startup stage where you have an idea, you're trying to grow, you're trying to transform it into a business, or you've already transformed it into a business. And then you are facing those very um, serious teething problems that new businesses have. I need capital. I don't know how to sell this thing. 
I'm overwhelmed, you know, all those typical problems you have. Then the next stage is a stage of growth. You, have a, you get to a point where you have validated your product in the market. It's clear that the market wants it. One customer has now become three customers, has now become 30 customers, has now become 100 customers. You are now facing a different kind of overwhelm. But this time, it's not the stress of your company feeling. It's because things are getting too good. You are getting a lot of demand, but you've now exceeded your personal capacity to serve your customers. So a different kind of conversation starts. We need to start building business systems. We need to structure the business. We need to plan your capital so that you don't burn out and then um, you run out of capital even now that you have a lot of a lot of um, customers. There are different conversations we have, even in terms of skill, uh, in terms of in terms of sales. You have to now systematize your sales because you can't be the same person doing everything. So you now have to trust the system, build a, a system and trust that system to run the business for you. That's the second stage growth. The top type of people I deal with are people who are facing situations of turnarounds. So you've been running this business for time, it's been doing well, and all of a sudden, things are going down. Or you have a business that's been handed down to you from a previous generation, maybe it's a family business, but things are not looking the way they used to, and then you need to turn the business around. Or something has changed in the market, or something, the company went through a time of crisis, and you know things are not looking the way they used to, and then you now need to change things within the company to adapt to the new reality you have. So these are the three major, um, let me call them junctions on the journey. Mm. That mm. And these are the choke points because most businesses that die, die at these three stages, just after, just after they have started up. In fact, most of the, the greater majority of businesses die before they are even born. So almost everybody mm. had the business idea. But very few actually go ahead to do something. And that's because there are a lot of things we are dealing with. There's uncertainty, there's fear, there's lack of resources, like capital. Some, some, some people lack the skill. They're trying to get into an industry they don't know something about, or they don't have access in that industry, or they don't have the, re- the necessary relationship. So from my experience, most businesses die before they're even born. The next highest mortality rate happens after the business starts. So a business is more like a, a newborn baby, right? So from those early days, it requires, it's very vulnerable. Um, lack of funding can deal with that business. The market risk is highest at the startup stage. The risk that the market may not want what you're selling. And you, it's like you, that you've been wasting your time all of this time. It's likely at that stage. Now, if a business survives the startup stage, you will not believe it. The next stage that kills a lot of businesses is the growth stage. I've seen it many times. You have a yeah. business that's doing well. Customers are not the problem. The demand is there. But because this is somebody who is unwilling to create a system and is yeah. still running business as one person, overwhelm takes over. They have not built a critical skill that's required for the growth stage, which is leadership. So at the startup stage, you're just, it's just you. You know, you're just maybe you and a couple of people. But by the time you get to the growth stage and you're building a system, you need to now be the leader of a team. And if you don't have that leadership skill, what you start to see is people work for you, but they don't stay. They don't last. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you start to sabotage yourself because the moment you find that your people are not doing things the way you want it, you just want to go and take over and do it the same way you've always been doing it in the past. So you end up sabotaging yourself, even though you claim that you're a, you're a leader. So the growth stage requires an expansion of the skills you have beyond what helped you start that business. So you are mm. more likely to become in. You may not even be the best person to run that business. And that is a, a harsh admission for many entrepreneurs. 
they tend to think that you know I'm the best, but at that stage you may not be the best person to run that um, that business. So having the sense and the humility to be able to say, okay, I think I'm comfortable working with people who are smarter than me, and I realize where my weaknesses are, and I'm willing to step aside and allow somebody who is better run this ship. So having that big vision rather than that myopic me 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 is usually a problem at the growth stage. Then at the turnaround stage, the main problem we have is people who are in love with the past. They created something in the past that was doing so well. They have, it's becoming very difficult for them to break loose and consider new options, look beyond what they are currently seeing and be humble enough to adapt to the reality in the market. So these are the three main choke points where most of my students, most of my clients, these are the points where they really are. So, and the kind of interventions I provide at those three stages are very critical. Mm, mm, now, I need mm. to mention something here. So, yeah. when, when I started, um, when I, I started a small startup while I was still in employment, but then it was just a website and then I was writing all these articles. But then that point came where it was, it was very clear that I had to leave or the thing would just remain a side business that just, more like a zombie business, living mm. there. So at that point, yeah. I, had to, I, had to, I had to make that I had to make that move. So one thing about doing business on the internet, which is what the, the company is, a fully virtual business, and yeah. coronavirus helped to validate that decision that I actually made the right call. And I made that call around 2016, 2017, when we had the recession in Nigeria, of course, yeah. caused by low, low oil prices. So yeah. the first challenge of doing business on the internet as a Nigerian, is that you understand that you already have a reputation problem. Because most of <laughs> many of my countrymen have already um, caused us significant reputational damage. So yes. the moment <laughs> you're in Nigeria and then you have this internet business and I'm selling this, come and buy from me, nobody's going to listen to you. They're just going to look at where you're from and think you're just another scammer. So what I did was I had to reverse the risk. So rather than sell anything to you, I provided, I focused on providing very high quality content that mm. based on my assessment, it was either available for sale on the internet or there were very few people who were actually doing it. And if they were doing it, it would either be a McKinsey, KPMG, PwC, or the rest. So I wanted to yeah. bring that quality of content into the domain, yeah. into the public domain, and put it out for free. Now, making it free changed the dynamics. It started yeah. getting... It got the attention of major media platforms. That's how I got on the Huffington Post. That's how I got on CNN. That's how LinkedIn, you know, got wind of me. And then I was um, I was recognized as one of the top voices on startups and entrepreneurship by LinkedIn in 2018. Now, yeah. I did this by reversing the risk. I'm saying, this is what I can do. This is what I know. And I'm giving it to you for free. Now, what that does is... It starts, it brings up a question in the person's mind. You know, if this guy can give this thing for free, I yeah. imagine what, what is inside his paid products. So yeah. when, yeah. We, uh, when, when, I, when I, uh, I and my co-author published 101 Ways to Make Money in Africa, which is yeah. available on the site, um, well, if um, anybody who gets on smallstarter.com should check or should look at the books um, section, 101, yeah. to make money, 101 Ways to Make Money in Africa was our first the first published book, and it essentially sold itself because yeah. then I would I would do like in-depth research on 10 business opportunities. And then yeah. when you get to the 10th one, I say, we have this book, 101 Ways. 
If you want to know more, you know you can buy it. So it's difficult yeah. for somebody who appreciates the value in the 10 I've given for free and how yeah. deep it is. That won't yeah. just, as a no-brainer, buy the book. You yeah. see, so this is how I was able to reverse the risk and I started to build the reputation. So even on, on, on um, Small Starter these days, it's unlikely I sell anything directly. And somehow it's important for the two of us. I don't want yeah. to sell something to somebody and then the person realizes that they don't want it. I want to sell you before you actually buy. That's what yeah. I focus on. So you get the value beforehand. You see what is possible. And then you sell yourself on the idea that, you know, yeah. I, want to go deeper. I want to go deeper with this guy. So that's essentially how I'm So a lot of the mistakes I see is that people are too focused on the money that they turn into salespeople. And these days, everybody's trying to sell us. So you can yes. sleep. You can, you can smell a, a, a sale <laughs> <laughs> 100,000 kilometers from you in these days of the internet. You know, when you show up, I just have, there's this thing, I, this information is free. You are not under any compulsion to buy. Just if you like it, you can like it or share with a friend. You don't have to buy. But if you want more, then we can move on to the next level. So that's my own simple philosophy. And I really like that because I think, you know, I I found you, I, I mean, I would say you're a trailblazer. Um, as I said, you know, all the other categories, you you tick them as well. But, you know, you're breaking new ground because, I mean, when I look at, first of all, the quality of what you've put together here in Small Starter. And for those who are listening, it's smallstarter.com. That's where you'll get all the resources, the books, um, the advice. Uh, to be able to join the groups, uh, you know, the, the uh, insider program, uh, the podcast. There's just really quite a lot. I mean, there's the standard and the quality of it. Most of the time we are so, I mean, I'm very familiar with uh, different coaches and mentors and incubators and so on. Most of them out of the US. The quality mm. is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. I looked at it and I said, definitely, I really, really love just the quality that goes to it, let alone the additional, I mean, the, the posts that you normally make on LinkedIn, mm, which are yeah. really, really eye-opening and give a different story and yeah. just gives you a sense of hope to say, you know, it can be done. It's possible. Because I think we need to look for models, people who are doing it, you know, the things that we are imagining, the thinking, the things that we are hoping to achieve, people who are modeling it for us. And, and you actually go beyond uh, mentorship. You're actually a model. You're somebody who somebody can look up to and say, hey, you know, this person is doing it and making it happen. And actually, uh, it's possible. I can actually do it. I can begin to take whatever steps. Uh, and I'm very excited because of the fact that you also are available to help, you know, uh, entrepreneurs to, you know, take those steps, as you've mentioned, in, in the different programs that you package together. So honestly, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just really, really appreciative of all you've done. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. There's this thing you mentioned about the, um, the U.S. market. I, I get it all the time. And yeah. then some, somebody, some visitor to my site says, you know, the information here is beyond Africa. You know, it's for the, why do you have to make it specific to Africa? When I post things on LinkedIn or, or Facebook, they're like, you know, so this lesson can apply to everybody in the world. Why are you just focusing on Africa? And I'm saying this, you know, when, <laughs> because the internet is one big market. Yeah. Many people make the mistake of thinking everybody is their customer, you know? Yeah. But what I yeah. realized is that in the coaching markets, in the course markets, the Americans consciously, or I think it's now unconscious, they produce their, con their content as if it is just America that is going to consume it. 
Sometimes yeah. they start to see that Europe is listening, Australia is listening, and then they gradually expand into a global, and I say global in air quotes, because most yeah. times that word global doesn't involve Africa. When everybody talks about Africa, usually you talk about, say, uh, South Africa, you know, and then that's just about it. So um, I, I consciously make it clear. Even it's yeah. right in the logo, right? This is an African story. And it yeah. is unashamedly so. Yeah. In fact, I, I want to make sure I can squeeze out every single ounce of Africanness in it. Yeah. And that's because it goes beyond just, you know, the uh, entrepreneurship. We also need to change our, we also need to gradually change our image of ourselves. Where yeah. anything valuable has to be coming from America or from the West. Or anything solid has to have a white face behind it. And yeah. I say this because you remember the, um, early on, it was difficult for a person to run a mile. I, I think it was a one minute mile or something that breaking the uh, speed barrier or something like that. For yeah. a very long yeah. time, yeah. you to do it. But the moment one person did it, I believe his name was Bannister or something like that. In one yeah, of Roger the, Bannister, yeah. Roger Bannister, you know, the moment he did it, you know, every other year people started breaking it. So, or like what we think that, you know, the majority has, uh, the majority, we need to have the majority of, but no, it's not true. Every major change or revolution starts with the minimum denominator, which is just one person. There was a post yeah. I made yesterday on, on social media about the test advanced diagnostic center in Somalia. When yeah. COVID-19 hit Somalia in March, that was the only lab that could test for the virus. Now, this yeah. is a lab that was founded by one doctor who was trained abroad. He partnered with five other doctors and they started that private lab in, in Somalia. And when a pandemic came that should have wiped out a lot of people, it happened that it was yeah. just one lab, not funded by the government or foreign aid or whatever, by an, an entrepreneur who happened to be a doctor. So it yeah. doesn't, we don't need a majority. In fact, as they always say, the majority, the, mi the minority will have their say, the majority will have their way, but it doesn't apply in entrepreneurship. One person alone is enough to cause change. So I'm hoping from the resources we have available, because I noticed yeah. over time, it's not just Africans who are promoting, who are consuming the content. In yeah. the private group, in the insiders, we have, um, we have a guy from, what's that his country again? Kiribati. Kiribati mm -hmm. is in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We have yeah. a lot of people who are in the African diaspora. These yeah. are people who went abroad to study. We have a lot of people of African descent, African-Americans. And then we also have the people who call foreigners. And that's because yeah. when it comes to the African opportunity, opportunity doesn't discriminate, which is yeah. why if Africans don't wake up to the opportunities before our eyes, it's going to be exploited by the people who call outsiders. And that's because opportunities don't discriminate. They don't care who takes yeah. advantage of them. But it makes sense that the people who are closer to the action exploit, exploit the action and are beneficiaries of the action. So that yeah. when a foreigner comes in, because, you know, we, we, I had this uh, debate sometimes and I'm, I'm, I'm shocked at how, how, li how little people understand the significance. Yeah. People do not realize how hard it is to be a migrant in a place. So somebody leaves their country, yeah. comes into your country. You were born yeah. in that country. You were raised in that country. What you're telling me is that somebody came from the outside and ate your lunch. You were there when the lunch was being made. You were there when they went to the market to buy the ingredients. You saw the lunch being made. And you're telling me that somebody came from the outside without a familiarity of the environment, without the benefits of knowing 
the nuances of the environment beats yeah. you to it. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. The only options that, that it leaves me with is, is either you were heavily ignorant of that opportunity or you were plain blind. Those are the only yeah. two things that can exonerate you from that kind of situation. So like I mentioned earlier, the opportunities are there for us. But if we do not exploit them, we'll have other people who can come in and exploit them. And some people tell me um, the reason foreigners are able to do well is because they have more access to capital. And then when they walk into a bank, it's more likely the banks will listen to a white person over you know, a local. And I'm saying you have, you are, you are very correct. All those things still happen. But who says the banks are the, old, are the, are the only place to raise um, capital to grow your business? Most of the entrepreneurs who are building businesses in Africa did not get help from a formal financial institution. Most of them got help from informal sources, friends, family, partnerships, just getting together as old classmates or colleagues in the office or neighbors, somebody who knows yeah. somebody who knows somebody. And then the business happens. So when people are yeah. looking at the way it usually happens, is the bank who comes after you. Is the bank that usually comes after you. And the funny thing is they come after you when you don't really need them, which is why you need their money for growth. By the time they yeah. come after you, you're already solid enough. You are confident enough to have that conversation. They can't squeeze you, you know, things like that. So these are things that people need to understand. And I, I am sympathetic to the ignorance that exists in entrepreneurship. Our schools don't teach this. A lot of these things are not being taught in our schools. Our schools primarily train um, graduates to, they, 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 they box them into only one life option. And that option is employment. And without employment, they are basically useless. And that is by design, unfortunately by design. We are trained that way in our educational system, that if you come out and you cannot get, you can't fit into a job, your options are more or less closed. Thank you for that. I mean, that's such a great incentive to really take action, you know, because I think at the end of the day, and in fact, actually, that's what I wanted to say to you that, you know, this is so much, um, this is not the kind of conversation that I just want to have and then, you know, go and sleep and forget about it. You know, this is the kind of conversation you want to have and really want to take action after that. And thank you for that incentive to really get started. So smallstarter.com forward slash Tim. The first 20 people jump in there and, you know, get this resource. And then, you know, this would be the beginning of transformation. Because I I must say, uh, John Paul, that I'm really grateful, um, you know, for such a person like you. I mean, when I spoke to Audrey and she shared a story, which was a long winding story. And I was just, you know, opening my mouth at every stage because like I know her. We went to school with her. Um, okay. And then the next thing was she went through a lot. And then it's like, you know, this was a turning point for me because especially at a time like this, you know, we've had COVID and all these things that are happening in our world yeah. where jobs are not there. Even, even before where you had the luxury that you could apply and wait, mm-hmm. jobs are not there. I mean, I've had somebody who just reached out to me on WhatsApp today and asked me, you know, Tim, my job is really uh, on the line and I know it's going to be out soon. I don't know. What do I do? And those kinds of people, I think let's begin to reach out. And, 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 and people like John Paul have committed themselves to this purpose, to this mission, to help you, to be able to make that step, you know, to overcome your fear of risk, to overcome your way of thinking and to really begin to take those steps. So I think this is really a call to action and I'll do whatever it is that I can to really support anyone that would want to really take action and do something and, and venture out there. Because I mean, entrepreneurs, 
can be nurtured through mentorship and guidance and learning. And, and it's not something that you're born with. And, you know, it's, it's something you can learn and acquire. I don't know, John Paul, maybe you might have any thoughts and any ideas or any, any program even that you might have that you would say, hey, you know, hop on to this one and we can get you started as we wrap up. Okay, so I think what I'm going to say is if there's something you think you can do and yeah. it's something that makes you feel restless, it's something that you think if you do, you're going to be fulfilled. Is a chance you would like to take. It's a future version of yourself you continuously see in your head and in your dreams. I think you deserve to give it a chance. Because if you don't give it a chance, um, a couple of decades from today, you're going to be rocking in your chair. You're likely going to be an old man or an old woman. And the things that will haunt you the most are not the things you did. The things that will haunt you the most are those things you wanted to do. You should have done them. You could have done them, but you didn't do them. So I, I think it will be unfortunate if you allow that kind of thing to happen to yourself because some people think the worst feeling is fear. No, no. Anybody who has not felt regrets doesn't know that fear is a subordinate feeling. Regret is actually far worse because unlike fear or, you know, unlike fear or, or anger where the, the, where the feeling is directed at somebody else or something else, Regret focuses on you. You are the subject of that disgust. So as much as possible, give it a shot. You are never too, it's never too late. And if I use my own personal example, I said I was going to do this before getting married. And then I got married and I said, before the kids come and then I'm swamped with bills, let me do it. I didn't do it. When I saw that boy, when I saw that child, I knew that, you know, this is it. If I don't do it, I'm finished. So I just had to make that move then. And if I didn't, life will only keep getting complex as you get older. That's what happens. Life will only get, and it's never too late. It doesn't matter what age in my, in the, um, in the insider community, I have people who are approaching retirement. I have people who are already in retirement. You can always rewrite your story. It's never too, never too late. So as long as you're still breathing, you are still in the fight. As long as you're still breathing, you're still in the fight. So no matter what anybody tells you, um, if there's something you think you can do, you want to do, you should do it. And um, if you don't, you are going to regret it. And that is not a feeling you want to have. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So, wow. I really want to thank you for taking time and really just joining me today. Uh, this is always, um, I'm just grateful that we could be able to talk about this and just really have, um, I, I think what I would say, John Paul, in, in the light of what you do, you know, I really would love us to be able to partner together and, you know, support each other and just, you know, get things happening and get things moving. Um, and I know, you know, there will be people who will be in my community who will be interested. I'll obviously point them to you because, I mean, that's that, that seems to be an area that you're really focused on and you're actually sharper and, and very edgy around it. So, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate this. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm glad we had this um, conversation. And you, you came highly recommended. Audrey is a name I picked up. You can imagine how you can imagine how how um, how in, how interesting it is that you picked up somebody's name, not because yeah. you have met, but because it's an email you become familiar with. Yeah. So Audrey asks uh, questions. Audrey 
one quality I think she has is gratitude, you know? So yeah. even when I send out something to 20,000, 30,000 people, Audrey is likely going to be one of those people who says, you know, this really helped me, thank you. And to yeah. those people who are looking for mentors, the, another problem that the, the our generation has is this sense yeah. of entitlement. Entitlement, yeah. My parents yeah. owe me, my, the government owes me, my friends owe me, society owes me. Nobody owes you nothing. Nobody <laughs> like that. So anything you didn't work for, you, you're not going to get it. Nobody owes you anything. So if you get something, you know, for free or something you feel, you know, there was no value exchange, you gratitude helps and encourages that person who is helping you to do more. That's what people don't realize, you know. So gratitude really goes a long way, especially in those situations where you know you cannot pay or you cannot afford it. You know, just a little thank you here and there, you know can help. Yeah. So that's one thing I learned from, from Audrey. I've not, we've not spoken. I don't know what her voice sounds like. I've never met her, but I know her email. You should, you should listen to the podcast then that I did with her. Very good, very good. <laughs> you know, the one thing that I really... <laughs> so, so I, I know, and you know, with that, it becomes, and she's a learner. She's always asking questions. I try my yeah. best to answer, you know, as most as I can, but it encourages yeah. me that somebody has such a hunger. Compared yeah. to those people who maybe the comment they have is, um, uh, please, you, re- you misspelled my name. And I'm like, you know, this name is the name, is the name you type in when you subscribe, you know. But if that is the, if that's the main thing that catches your attention, you're welcome, you know. So <laughs> it's yeah, a, true. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that because, I mean, I think it's, it's, we can really major on the minor things or we can really major on the major things. And I think that's a choice we must make. So, so hunger is one of those things, you know, and, and I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> Audrey definitely has that. So, Ooh, so thank you so much. And um, yeah, so I think um, just from an episode perspective, because I think this is my last episode for the year. I'm not recording any other until next year. So I have a, I have a project and I actually probably should mention this to you. Okay. I have a project called the United States of Africa, which is to interview one person in a country um, and publish that every week on a weekly basis. So it will run parallel to this podcast. Okay. Um, and the idea is really just to open up possibilities and mindset. And I think you are somebody I would love to have actually uh, on behalf of the great country of Nigeria and Lagos, <laughs> just to really speak to this theme. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really finalized the details yet, but it will be big picture thinking to be dreaming and just imagining. And I, I couldn't think of a better person than yourself in terms of somebody who has taken the game. You know, I'm not interested in people who are 65 or 75 who are going to die in the next few years. You know, I'm interested in people who are really invested in the future and who can dream and imagine what can be done. You know, so I would love, I mean, if, you, if it's something that you'd uh, be open to. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Any, because... You know, some one, one common thing I see is this whole individualistic um, um, trend. Everybody prefers to work in silos or cabals, you know, like closed units. <laughs> yeah. I, enviously, I enviously watch the Americans. This person is featuring this person on their podcast. This person is talking about... So essentially what you do is you, you, you create a commonwealth that more or less is a bigger pie that everybody enjoys from. So yeah. going into, you know, this year I've, been, I've started doing it and they're going to next year. I want to focus a lot on outreach, building yeah. relationships, conversations, networking, because it doesn't matter if you are from South Africa or Nigeria or Somalia or whatever. When the world yeah. looks, they just see Africa. And then when you're trying to explain, well, I'm really from Nigeria and not, you know, Sudan, which is another... They, another yeah. <laughs> they won't even understand. 
Nobody cares. They don't want to know what the difference. All of you look the same. You know, that's exactly yeah. what it is. So, so we need to build our own story. And the best way to do it is to do it collectively. What I notice is our brothers and sisters are doing a good job on the art side. If you look at the music scene in Africa, the movie scene, it might not be like, you know, Hollywood standard, but they are helping to project our continent. Yeah. Um, our political leaders may not be good ambassadors, may not be solid ambassadors, but we need to understand that they are not the only kinds of leaders. We have yeah. cultural leaders. Many of these outstanding musical talents that's, that's garnering millions of views on YouTube and all of that, those are cultural yeah. leaders. Our entrepreneurs yeah. who are building enterprises, who are now gradually exiting at multiples of millions of dollars, those are business leaders. Yeah. We, also have, we also have social leaders, people who are activists, who are making, who are, who are being a voice for the voiceless. Those are social leaders, you know? Yeah. All sorts of leaders. So you mustn't sit in some government house or some parliament to be a leader. As long as you run a household or you're in a position where somebody looks up to you, you are essentially a leader. So we need to understand that all of us are leaders in our own right. So the United States of, of, of Africa sounds great as long as the objective is to move the continent forward. I mean, 101%. Absolutely. 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 Wow. Absolutely. Wow. So, goodness, as I said, you, you, you are, you're somebody who can't be fixed into one episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've listened to uh, your podcast. I loved it. And I think it's one that I would love to be listening to more and more. Um, again, I just have love for Lagos and Nigeria. I'm just, you know, it's a, it's a pity I haven't been there in a while. But, you know, as soon as we have uh, a little bit of freedom of movement, it's one of the places I would love to just, you know, come and spend some time. Yeah. Wow. It's it's been a really long and very interesting podcast. Even though I sat in for this podcast myself, I had to listen to it again. It's um quite brilliant stuff. And I think it's it's something that's going to help people across the spectrum. Whether you're um, you know contemplating the the opportunity of going to start your own business or you've already started your business and you're facing difficulty and you're second guessing yourself or doubting the choice you made going into business or you are in a, in a very good place you're coasting you're finally you know realizing the benefits of eventually starting your business i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you want to leave me a review of a podcast you like what you hear you can do that at smallstarter.com review and if you have any question to ask uh, because of anything you've heard on this episode or previous episodes, you can leave me a voice note and I'm going to listen to it at smallstarter.com slash message. See you in the very next episode. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Small Starter Business Podcast. To take our free business courses or join one of our signature programs for special entrepreneurs like you, head over to smallstarter.com to join our private community. See you inside.